Today, I really want to talk about leadership for the next couple of weeks. Leadership. And how many of you would say, just by the raise of hands, that, that you're a leader? You're a leader. Okay, thank you. All right, that's, all, that's probably 15%, 10, 15% of the crowd. I'm a, I'm a leader. And a lot of times we connect leadership with a title. And so we, we immediately think when, when somebody asks me if I'm a leader, I, I disqualify myself because I don't really have a leadership role. But I want to ask you another question. Think about the last 10, 20 years of your life. Think about the people that have influenced your life the most. The people that helped you become who you are today. And, and, and think about their role. Did they, did they have a title? Was it coach? Was it pastor? Was it, a, you know, a teacher? Was it somebody, was it a manager or a boss or the CFO? Or was it an aunt or an uncle or a grandfather or mom or dad or a brother or sister or a cousin or a friend or a colleague? Nobody likes the boss, but we like who we work with, you know what I'm saying? A lot, a lot of times it's, you know. And what I've found in my life looking back, the people that have influenced me the most didn't really have the title of leadership in my life. It was a family member, it was an uncle, it was a cousin, it was a, a colleague, somebody I worked with, not, not worked for. And I think when we, when we, when we think of the word lead or, or leadership, we automatically go to a position or a role. But I'm seeing in my life that it's the people that don't really have the title that can influence the most. There's a, a verse in Romans, if you didn't raise your hand, you're like, I'm not a leader. I want to share this verse with you, Romans 14, verse 7. It says that none of us lives to himself, nobody lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. And I think what that means, what, what, what Paul is trying to tell us, is that every person touches someone else's life. Whether you realize it or not, you, you have leadership. People are watching you every day. If you're in high school... People are watching how you live. They're watching the way that you carry yourself. They're watching, uh, listening to your words, your mannerisms. And, and, and Paul, by writing that verse, lets me know that, that, that there's not one person that's ever lived that was kind of an island to themselves. That everybody touches someone's life in this little, little gap that we have here on this earth. Everybody's influencing someone. And the best way that I can define leadership is, is influence. It's, it's not a title. It's not a position. Leadership is influence, and you have it. You have it at home. You have it in your family. You have it at school. You have it on the job. And the person who thinks that they're leading and no one is following is just taking a walk, right? Because you know, the real leader is not really a lot of times the person with the title. The real leader is the person that everyone else is listening to. And they may not have the role, and they may not have the position, but everybody at work knows who to go to when things go wrong. That's the leader. It's the person that's speaking into the lives of those around them. And when I look at my life, I, I had a few people that really changed my life for the good. And one of them is no longer here, and it was my uncle. And, and he, he was, to me, just one of the greatest men that ever lived. First paramedic in Santa Rosa County, um, just an incredible person, lived his life for other people. And he did more for me than I can ever put into words. And his son was the same way. That's my cousin. They're both named, they're both named Dominic. And so it was Dominic Sr. and Dominic Jr. 
And, and, and when I look back at my life, it wasn't like a pastor or somebody that had the title or leadership role in my life that really helped me. It was the ones that didn't. And my cousin was the first one to, he bought me my first Bible and I still have it. He showed me what it was to, to study the Bible and what it meant to pray. And, and my uncle did the same thing. He was big on prayer. He was the guy that if, it didn't matter if we were at the biz, We could be at a packed restaurant, right? There's not a seat in there. We stood up and we held hands and we prayed. That's how we did it. You know, saying, as embarrassing as that, I mean, it was always like, I was always thinking every time we go out to eat after church, are we going to have to stand up and hold hands and pray? <laughs> you know, like I was like, like, like not looking, but it, it just, I don't know. It, it's something that was instilled into me because of him. Another person that influenced my life, that when he influenced my life, he had no role over my life, is here this morning. I didn't know you were going to be here. Pastor Mike Doyle. And when, when I was feeling like God was calling me to do something out here on the beach, Buck Waters gave me Mike Doyle's number and said, you should call him. And the last time I talked to, to Mike Doyle was he had, he had uh, brought the best surfer in the world to the Sanger Theater at the time. And, and I went only because the best surfer in the world was in Pensacola. It's like, what is he doing here? And, and Mike stood up and talked and preached the gospel and gave an invitation that I didn't stand up or raise my hand or move. I sat down because I was too cool to get up or do anything like that. But something happened in my life. And, and that was the moment where I finally came to faith. And a decade later, 15 years later, I'm calling him again. Didn't know who, who he was from the man, a man on the moon. And saying, hey, I feel like God's calling me to start something on the beach. What should I do? And he helped me. And for years... There's mornings where I get up and I'm thinking, this might be the last, last sermon I got in me. Y'all may think, I mean, I know I'm always smiling when I'm here, but getting here sometimes is tough. And there's some mornings where it's like, I'm just out of words. You know, like I've told every story I got. I, you know, I'm just, I, multiple times, nobody wants to hear about Pepsi anymore. Like, <laughs> and I'm like questioning if this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I'll get a text from Mike. Just want you to know I'm praying for you, Nathan. You're, you're doing a great job out there. Keep up the work. And it's people like that that change our lives. That they don't, they don't lead or pour into our life because it's their job description. They do it because they love someone. And they're motivated by the Spirit of God. And the Bible talks a lot about leadership. I think it has the best leadership information of any book that's ever been written and I believe that because of the people that followed it and what they've done with their life and if we could go back 2,000 years if we lived 2,000 years ago imagine if somebody asked you the question what do you think is going to be around longer the Roman Empire that connected the entire world for the first time Roman Empire was great or these 12 ragtag fishermen, tax collectors, falling around this guy named Jesus with long hair and sandals, who doesn't really have a building and doesn't have a home, and his forerunner was a guy named John the Baptist who ate locusts and honey and lived in the woods. What's going to be around longer? The Roman Empire or Jesus and his 12 disciples? Every person on the planet would have said the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is gone. 
And here we are talking about these 12 disciples and this man named Jesus that came from heaven 2,000 years ago. And not only that, the church is stronger and more influential than it's ever been. And so what did they have? How did they lead? Well, there was specific things that we see in the life of a leader in the New Testament. There's three places where, that I could find that kind of have qualifications for a leader. And I didn't put them all in your handout, but I just want to read one out of Titus. Titus chapter 1. Paul's writing to this young, young man, Titus. And Paul was a church planner. He was known as an apostle. So he would show up in a city or a town. He would plant a church and he would leave. He would set up leadership after he had left, and he would go and plant another church. And so he's writing to Titus, and he's saying, Hey, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder, here's the qualifications, must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. His children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household. So he must live a blameless life. Then he gives some things. He must not be arrogant, angry, quick-tempered. He must you know, not be a heavy drinker, violent, dishonest with money. And so he gives these qualifications to this young church leader at the time, saying, these are the, the people I want you to put in leadership over the church. Now, for a moment, I want you to, I want you to, to, to think about leadership in two buckets. The big main bucket that we always think about when we think about leadership is what I'm going to call community leadership. That's your title, your, your owner, your CFO, your CEO, your manager, your whatever, president, your, your assumed leadership based on a title. And that's good. And we talk a lot about community leadership, and it's important. But what's fascinating to me is in Titus, 1 Timothy, and then 1 Peter, where we're, we're given the qualifications for a leader, it has nothing to do with community leadership roles. It has everything to do with what I want to call life leadership. How is this person leading himself and his family? And the Bible doesn't really, when it talks about qualifications for leaders, you're not going to see anything in there about, well, they have a Fortune 500 company, or they manage at least 100 people, or they have a really important title or a lot of influence in the community. It's, it's not there. 1 Timothy, 1 Peter, Titus are verses that we just read. Everything is about how that person leads their life personally and how they lead their family. And, and so Paul is putting this, I'm going to call this life leadership, ahead of community leadership. He's saying uh, somebody who's qualified to lead, it doesn't matter how many people's on their payroll. What matters is how do the people in their household think about them? Do they love them? Does that person, is it reciprocal? Are they, are they leading themselves well? Are they leading their lives well? That was really, really important to the New Testament leaders. They could care less about the outside third circle of leadership. It was always about that inner core of leadership. And so I want to just give you, I think, a few things that, that's helped me when it comes to leading. And I think the most important thing with leadership is how we lead our lives. And unfortunately, the hardest person to lead is myself. Does anybody else have that problem? Okay, the hardest person to lead is, is, is not my family. It's not my, my son. It's not, the hardest person to lead is the guy that I'm looking at in the mirror every single morning. Because everywhere I go, I'm there. 
And, it's, you know, and, and I'm bringing all this history and all these things that, you know, that I know about myself. And, and so the hardest person to lead, number one, is myself. That, and at the end of the day, when, when I stand before God, he's not really going to ask me, you know, how well did you lead that company? Or how well did you lead that organization? Or how, he's really going to say, well, how well did you lead yourself? What did you do with what I gave you? How well did you lead yourself? Paul writes about this in pretty deep, you know, he gets detailed about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he compares it to an athlete training. And this is what he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, only one gets the prize? So run in such a way to get the prize. Verse 25, everyone who who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. He knew who he was competing against. And in verse 27, he answers it. I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so he's saying, I'm in a battle, and I'm in this competition, but I'm not competing against anyone. <laughs> I'm competing against myself. It's that old nature and that new nature. It's the old Nathan Pooley, right? It's the old person, the things that I know I'm capable of, the things that I know that I can do. I'm, I'm trying to keep that person at bay so that I can move into this new life that God is calling me into. And I love that he was so transparent about it. I love that he talks about this thorn in his flesh, that, that he, he kept praying for God to take some kind of, we don't know if it was some kind of you know, sin that he was struggling with or if it was a physical deformity. Some believe that he couldn't see very well. Some believe that it was something wrong with his body. We don't know. But, but he was transparent about his weaknesses. He knew he had them and he was fighting them. And that's a big, that's a big deal. Aristotle said the beginning of wisdom is to know yourself. And the first step in leading well, I think other people, our family, and within a community, is to know yourself. To integrate your shadow was the way that Jung said it, right? To know the areas in my life where, you know, I'm capable of doing some things that I'm not real proud of, but I've got accountability around it. I know the areas in my life that I need to work on. First John says it like this. If we claim that we're without sin, like if we, if we say that we're perfect, we're deceiving ourselves. And so the, the first step in leading well is, is, is leading myself and, and knowing the areas in my life where I'm weak and, and trying to uh, you know, build up some, some walls around those areas and then knowing the areas where I'm strong. I think everybody has blind spots, so I mean, I know that there's some things in our life that we just are never going to see without the help of others, but the good leader, the leader that I think is, is, is heading in the right direction, knows his or her weaknesses, knows the areas where they're struggling, and when we get to that point, we can work on them, and I think that leads us to the second step. When I can lead myself well, I can lead others well. And I think this is the way that the the, the Bible kind of lays it out. 
That, and and it, it uses words like self-control or blameless. Or, so this person has his own stuff, her own stuff. Like, I'm working on my weak areas. I'm not perfect, but I'm working on it. And when I'm in that place, now the Bible kind of says, all right, now, now you, can lead, you can lead others. And it always gives you, like, he starts talking about in Titus being faithful to his wife and his children are being led well. Because this person is leading his or her life well, now it's starting to, the circle is getting a little bigger. And so this is life role leadership. This is the most important leadership that we'll ever have the honor of leading in. It's leading our families. It's leading our friends. It's the people in our life that we love and care about. That's the highest honor. About, about 10 years ago, I heard a pastor say this, and I'll never forget it. And he's a really famous pastor. He's written a lot of books, and he's got a great church. And he stood up and he was sharing this with a group of pastors. He says, you know, I want to be famous in my home. I don't care about being famous anywhere else. I don't care about being famous online or being an influencer or whatever you want to call that. He's like, I just want the people that know me the most to love me the most. And I thought, that's a goal there, y'all. I want to be famous in my home. I, I want my, my wife and my son and my family and my mom and those that, I, that, that are the closest to me, that, that I, I'm doing well in that arena. And because and things, because I think a lot of times, and, and we'll go ahead and go to the third one, if I can lead, my, if I can lead my, myself well, I can lead others well. If I can lead others well, I can lead a community well. But a lot of times we just focus on the community leadership at the expense of the life leadership. And we see it like every day right now. You know, we're seeing it in the news. We're seeing, you know, people that are making mistakes. And it's like, how in the world is this person that leads this massive church or this massive organization, how, how did they have all this going on in their life and nobody knew it? Because I think that we can focus so much on this third circle of community leadership that we, we sometimes can leave behind those that need us the most. And that's, that's you. You need to be able to lead yourself well. And that's your, your life, the people in your life. And I love that, that Paul puts this in the New Testament. I love that he makes it such an important priority because we can all lead ourselves and our lives well. That's something that we can all attain to. That's a goal that I think that we can all have. And God says, you know what? That's a good goal. And the Holy Spirit will come alongside us. And, and help us to do those things. And when we're able to do those things, lead ourselves well and lead our, our lives well, well, I think what will happen is this community leadership is just, you know, a lot of times those, these roles change and they come and go. But the most important leadership that we have in our life is, is the people that have our last names that are going to definitely show up at your funeral, right? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll see. No, no, it's yeah. You know, the community leadership role, all these people that want your time and attention and influence and money or whatever you got a lot of that they want, they're probably not going to be there. But these two, the life leadership, you're definitely going to be there. You know what I'm saying? That, and that is the most important. The most important. And so how do we do that practically? That's the big question, right? How do we do that practically? I don't know. Come back next week. Maybe I'll figure it. No, no, just kidding. No, I, I, I want to. <laughs> I really don't know. But I, I think I got an idea, a little bit of an idea. The people that I look up to the most that have mentored me 
And a lot of them are in this church right now, and they're in leadership in this church. I've found that the greatest leaders are the greatest followers. That the Bible doesn't really call us to leadership. It does secondary. It calls us to followership. And the greatest leaders in the world, the ones I've read about and the ones I know personally, they all had a mentor. <laughs> they all had somebody in their life that, that was helping them, that was pouring into their life, that, that they were following. And that's kind of how the whole thing got set up when Jesus shows up and he's, you know, he goes up to Peter and he's like, hey, drop your nets, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And he just walks off. You know, it wasn't a, hey, um, you know, here's a, here's a path to leadership, and I want you to get your master's in divinity, and I want, I want you to do all this stuff, and when you get all this stuff, come back, we'll talk. It was not like that at all. It was an apprenticeship. It was follow me, watch my life, see the way that I pray, see the way that I interact with people, look at how I live my life, and copy me. The greatest leaders know how to do that. We're not trying to create something new. We're, we're really trying to follow in the old paths that have been set in front of us. And, and this was the call for the disciples. It was follow me. Um, it, it was not do as I say. It was do as I do. Watch my life. And, and so that's where we get the, the four gospels. And that's where we get most of the New Testament. It's um, you know, men and women that followed the life of Christ. And then Paul goes on and he takes it another level. Paul says it like this, follow my example, 1 Corinthians, as I follow Christ. And so here's a guy that wrote a third of the New Testament, planted, I mean, the, I mean we're here today because of his faithfulness. And he, his whole leadership strategy was, follow me as I follow him. And I don't know if it gets any better. The greatest leaders are the greatest followers, and I don't think there's ever been a greater leader that's been born or lived apart from Jesus. This whole series kind of came to me. I was, had a lunch with a friend who, who owns a, a company, a larger company, and so he's a, part of this, like, he's a part of this small group of other business leaders. And, and this one, and I hate to even say it, but this guy owns the largest Coke franchise in the U.S., don't even like bragging about Coke, but he's doing something right. And so they, he took this company from $200 million in, in revenue to a billion. And so he's teaching this small group of other business leaders trying to grow these big companies. So these are big companies. And, and they had a Q&A, and he was asked the question, how did you do it? How did you take this franchise and grow it into this, you know, billion-dollar industry? And he looked out at these business owners, and he said, well, we lead like Jesus, and everybody's like, all right, I'm going to tap out now. I'm going to say, no, no, no. But practically, we lead like, and then, and so the, the, this, my friend was telling me this story, and he, he goes up to the guy afterwards and says, tell me more about this lead like Jesus. And it, ends up, it ended up being a book, um, and, and, but, but there was some principles in there. But the, at the core of it, what I love is how these principles that we're talking about that work in the church, they work everywhere. They work everywhere. That, that when we make it our priority to serve and love those around us, good things begin to happen. When we make it a priority to say, it's not about how many people that I lead, but how many people that I serve. That was the Jesus way. It was servant leadership. When we, when we begin to do that, you're going to have people wanting to follow you everywhere. 
When we make it a priority to serve and to love, and, and I, I asked them if I could share that story because a lot of times we think, well, church leadership just works in church. I, I, don't, I think it works everywhere. I think it works everywhere, I don't, and I don't know if there's a better way to do it because here we are 2,000 years ago, and we name our dogs Herod and Arrow. You know what I'm saying? But we name our children after the disciples. Come on, somebody. Like the Roman Empire is gone, and here is this that we know as the church of Jesus Christ is still stronger than it's ever been. And so the best leaders are the best followers. The second thing, to make it personal, I can't lead like Jesus until I let Jesus lead me. I know that sounds really easy and simple, but I think that's what my job is. I'm glad that you're here this morning and I want to teach you something. But I think my real, my real job is to give you the tools to be able to listen for the voice of God when you get to, in the boardroom tomorrow morning. Or when you have that difficult meeting with that employee that you know is coming up. Or you drop your kids off at school and you know Friday's the last day and you don't know how you're going to keep them busy all summer long. I'm praying for you. God bless. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen to Jesus. I don't know what we're going to do. But uh, it's, uh, there's all kinds of camps and like, you know, VBSs are spread out during the, no, but uh, <laughs> I don't think there's anyone who can give you better advice on how to lead your life and lead your family than he can. And this is what he came to do. Not to set up a person between you and him. I'm thankful for pastors. I'm thankful for overseers. I'm thankful for mentors. But Jesus said you can go straight to him. You don't have to stop by the church on the way. You don't have to run up here and get in the altar to hear from God. Like you can do it on your way into the meeting. On the drive to work, to school, wherever you may be. That God wants to speak to you. And he wants to help you lead your life well so that you can lead your family well and that you can lead those around you in your community well. And when we do that, when we let Jesus lead our lives, our friends, family, community will all be influenced by him. And he may ask you to do some things that don't make sense. <laughs> like the disciples didn't know what was going on in the upper room when Jesus busts out a, a towel and a basin and starts washing their feet. They're like, hang on, Jesus, you're the CEO. We're the, like, you know, we should be doing this to you. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. But sometimes God will ask us to do things that don't make sense because he sees, he sees the bigger picture. And you may have to take the high road sometimes, and it'd be really easy to sue that person. It'd be really easy to fight back. It'd be really easy to retaliate and make sure they never get another job. It'd be really easy to, to come hard with judgment. But Jesus showed a better way. And it says on the night that he was betrayed, he took a cup and some bread. After he had washed his disciples' feet, he says, I want to show you something. We're going to share a meal together. Now again, I want you to just try to put yourself in the setting of that night. This was not some kind of formal board meeting where everybody's in suit and ties and they got the agenda. This is a meal with his friends. And he's trying to inject into them the, these principles that he knows will change the world. 
So he washes their feet, and at some point he takes a glass of wine and, and, and a piece of bread, and, he, and he, he, he has communion with them. Now I'm going to read these verses to you in Corinthians, and then we're going to take communion together. It says, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so important. I received my instructions from the Master, and I've passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread. He had given thanks, and he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this and remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, this cup is my blood, new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time that you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. And so because of this, you're going to be drawn back to this moment we're about to have, to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. And so it's this moments like this where we come together that I think we allow God to shepherd us and lead us. In another instance where Paul's writing about communion, he talks about examining ourselves, looking inside, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, not, not the person next to us or the person, you know, but, but it, the circle gets smaller. And before we do that, I, I want to share this one quick story, and then we're going to take communion. I'd never watched the movie A River Runs Through It until last year. And if you've never watched the movie, I'm about to ruin it for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. But A River Runs Through It is a great movie, but it was originally a book. It's a true story. And it was about a pastor and his two sons. And here's a pastor that's trying to lead the congregation well. He's trying to be a good pastor, and he's trying to raise his boys. And the movie's so, it's beautiful. If you like, you know, Montana, I think it's, I don't know where it's set, but it looks like somewhere in the Midwest. And so there's a, there's a river that runs through their property, and the dad teaches his boys how to fly fish, teaches them how to tie flies, teaches them how to, you know, he's got a little timer out with them, showing them how to cast the fly rod, how it's all about timing. Just a beautiful story of these of this pastor and his boys well one of the sons gets off the path gets into some trouble and and gets into more trouble gets into more trouble well he ends up he ends up at the end of the movie he ends up dying and so the pastor is is torn he didn't really know what was going on in his son's life completely he, he knew that he was struggling and had got into some bad stuff, but didn't realize it was that bad, that somebody was out to take his life and took his life. And at the time, at the end of this movie, the dad is, 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 is about to retire from his church. And in, in the end scene, it's the last scene. And he's talking about, you know, he's been trying to get information about how his son died from all the family, and they won't tell him. They didn't want to hurt him. And he stands up in his last message and he says you know, these words, you don't have to fully understand to fully love. 
And I thought, that's the heart of a great leader. <laughs> that at the end of the day, at the end of his life, again, according to this movie, this guy did everything right with these two boys. He did everything right. And sometimes life will throw things at you that you just can't explain. There's no reason for it. There's no rhyme for it. It just, things happen. And he stands up and he says that. And to me, it means you don't have to fully know to fully love. That when we come to the communion table, we all have stuff in our life that's happening and things that have happened to us. But I think it's in the moment of communion where we come together and I want you to think about this as we take the bread and is that there's a God in heaven who fully knows and he still fully loves. And I want you to think about that. A lot of times the more you know about a person, you know their history, it's really hard to keep loving them because <laughs> you know all their stuff. But the night that Jesus was betrayed and he had this meal, there was a guy named Judas that in the middle of this communion, he said, hey, go and do what you need to do quickly, friend. Jesus fully knew, and he fully loved. Judas ran up to the high priest with clean feet that afternoon. I don't know if it gets any better than that. And so in this moment, I want you to just bow your head. Because when we come to the communion table, it's not to, to see God so that God can be fully visible to us, but it's so that we can make our lives fully visible to Him. That when we come to the table, we open our heart and our soul to the Spirit of God, and we, we ask Him the way that David prayed, search my heart. Lord, is there anything in me that I need to ask for forgiveness? Is there any area of my life where I need the love of God to be applied? An open wound, something that happened and I've been trying to figure out why for a long time. But maybe God's leading you today to let that go and just to fully love, even when you don't fully understand. And so, Father, we thank you so much. We ask that in this moment, Lord, that you would speak to us. Our hearts are open before you. And we just thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.